Welcome back to the show, guys. Today, we have a special guest, Brian Rappaport. He is the founder and CEO of Quan Media Group. They do all things out-of-home advertising. Think Skims, think Casper, think Truff, Billy, Way, Zell, Away, Daily Harvest. I mean, the list just goes on and on. They've worked with some incredible brands, many of which you'll recognize. I got connected to Brian actually on Twitter, and I saw that he was doing all this amazing work in the out-of-home advertising space. And so I wanted to bring him on so we could really get a primer on out-of-home advertising, the state of the industry today, what brands need to know, basically how it all works. So this whole episode is just an incredible deep dive on this particular channel of advertising and why all brands of all verticals and all stages need to embrace it and what they need to know about it. So without further ado, here's the conversation with Brian Rappaport. We are here today with Brian Rappaport. He is the founder and CEO of Quan Media Group, and they are basically the kings of -of out-of-home advertising. So I'm super excited to chat with you, Brian, because I've been following the amazing work you're doing. You're working with all my favorite brands. I saw your killer skims campaign recently. Uh, and I've been seeing those photos. So I am super excited to talk about that because that's, um, you know, something that a lot of brands, I think it can be a little bit of a black box for people as far as how to approach it, when to do it, what its role is in the marketing mix. So, and you are the expert in that. So I'm super excited to chat. No, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to chat all things um, at a home. It's a fun, fun, fun channel. And uh, nothing I love more than talking about it, educating people on it, and obviously sharing some campaigns and stories. So here. Let's start with how you ended up doing this. <laughs> that's that's a good question because like if you asked me like in college what I would be doing for my career, it would be like working in PR or marketing for the New York Knicks or for the NBA. That was like what I had my mind set on. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and so obviously it's a super competitive field, sports, broadcasting, marketing, all of that good stuff. So coming college, I, I really hung on to that dream um, and, and called in every favor possible, really looked around and you know, until ultimately about a year out of college, got a job with MBA TV, um, working the bottom information ticker um, for MBA TV. So basically writing all the stats for games and players, whenever you see that bottom line come up on MBA TV or on ESPN, anything, I would like drive from my house on Long Island all the way to New Jersey, you know, five days a week um, and work through the end of the West Coast game. So I'd probably leave the studio in New Jersey around 1 a.m. to Long Island at 2 a.m. Um, I loved it. I was working at the NBA. It was a project employee job. So only went for a year. And when it ended, I kind of tried to hang on to working in that field. I applied for jobs out of my professional bracket and really went hard and got to the point where obviously it was dragging on. My best friend was working at a fantastic ad agency, Publicis, Zenith Media at the time. And basically it was like, hey, Brian, you know, I know you're looking for a job. You should apply here. It's so much fun. We go to a lot of parties, we go to a lot of free lunches. Um, we placed print ads in newspapers for our day jobs, but like all the perks are great. And it sounded good to me. And I did that. And I applied at Zenith and got a job basically doing what I do now in out of home, but for print and for Verizon and basically deciding where Verizon iOS ads were going. Um, and over time at Zenith, worked with incredible people, really fun, you know, agency. And they transitioned me over to out of home when they won Sonic Drive in as a major account. And I kind of fell in love with the channel. I was like, wow, this is super creative. You get to see your work about nice to see a newspaper ad but really like too excited when you see a newspaper ad um and after sonic you know they kind of had me work on a few different accounts it was like caesars and then it was delta and we were doing more and more fun stuff in out of home not just billboards giant walls airport advertising really cool unique different things 
Um, and I just fell in love with Adam Home. And that's kind of what led me into the industry. I made one jump to another agency after Zenith really like solidified my love. I, I fortunately was able to go to Rapport, which is IPG's out of home shop. They are fantastic still to this day. I was an associate director and ultimately ended up co-running the New York office. And after that, uh, Kwan was born. So long with the answer, but you know, unique. So you said that you fell in love with out of home. It was, you know, it, it hits different seeing something yes. out in the real world. Um, is that is that why you liked it? Because it's just larger than life. It's so sort of, um, you know, it's so tangible. Is that why you liked it? Or what drew you to out of home specifically? I think, you know, the creativity mixed with strategy. Um, I'm a super creative person. And while when you're working on my side of the business, you're not necessarily designing the ads, you're not the copywriter, you do get a say in what brands do and how they execute in the out of home space. So I just remember like Delta kind of kind of coming to us and saying like, what can we do that's outside the box? We, we're New York's airline. Like, what can we do? Uh, that, that's not a billboard. That's not the side of a bus. That's not in a subway. And like sitting there and coming up with all of these kind of unique and, and, and fun ideas. And it was years and years ago, but having the ability to kind of have that blank canvas and then realize that there are you know, media partners in the space that can make these things come to life, make them happen. Like along with like, obviously utilizing your expertise in a given market, like what works in a market versus what does it, where you want to be for a brand based on their core audience, like all of that together, you you really feel like you're like a brand is putting their, their, you know, th themselves in your hands, I should say, like they, they trust you and they, they are giving you a lot of money to not just go out there and buy anything, like to buy what's going to ultimately lead to lift and growth and like sure brand awareness, but like ultimately, you know, perform for them. And for me, the ability to mix creativity, with strategy, market knowledge, all of that together, I was, I felt like I had found myself in a really rewarding position career-wise. Mm -hmm. So what led you to striking out on your own? What was that moment <laughs> when, when you were like, you know what, I think I can do this on my own? Th this also was never planned. Um, and still to this day, once in a while, I take a second, I'm like, this is nuts. Um, I had started at Rapport um, and coming from a very big holding company, you know, Zenith Media, to, you know, it was like if they pitched new business at Zenith, it was like a six month process. They had to get multiple teams involved and it was a very lengthy pitch and odds are it was going to be for a very big brand name, maybe like a Brown Foreman and Anheuser-Busch, whatever the case is. And at Rapport, while we were part of another holding company, we kind of acted independently, which was really nice. So I was with my boss maybe two months into starting on a subway and I looked up and saw the most beautiful Casper ads. I'm just lining the entire subway, fun, creative cartoons, great pastel colors. And I had seen it a bunch. And I basically just said to my boss, like, I wonder what agency has Casper. Like, I see this brand everywhere. Like, they're clearly like a bed company. I love them. Um, and my boss was like, go call the founder. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I can just do that. And he's like, oh, yeah, go call the founder. See, see who's working with them and then see if you could bring them in as a client. And my job wasn't biz development. It wasn't I, I wasn't supposed to be doing this. So I said, all right. So I found uh, the founder, Philip Krim at the time. Casper was still young, maybe a company of 55. And I shot him an email basically like, who's running your out of home? Who are you working with? And he really, you know, had an answer. It was like, I'm working with Outfront Media, the biggest out of home vendor across the country. And, you know, we want to be on the subway. And that's really it. And I asked him for a meeting and he said yes right away. Went to Casper's office, sat in, sat in a conference room with him. He was the nicest guy. And basically I was like, this is why you need an out of home strategist. Like if you're planning on scaling, which they were, if you're planning on look, unlocking different markets, like you need someone that understands markets, that understands the right mix of media partners, what works for a brand versus what doesn't. Um, and we had a, like a really fun conversation. And the next day I got an email, hey, Brian, great meeting you. I'd love to work together. What are next steps? 
And I was like, oh my God, I just want a piece of business from this new agency that I'm working at. Um, and Casper essentially became my quote unquote baby. Like it was the first brand I kind of took in-house and, and helped scale the out of home strategy. And after winning that brand, I was like, I'm a competitive person. I'm like, let's do this again. So I went and went after FanDuel, almost won them. We lost to a larger agency at the end, but great, great process. Didn't slow me down. I went after Daily Harvest, after Roman, I went after things. Um, as I started reaching out to these brands, at the same time, as I became closer with these clients, they started spreading my word through the growth community, or my name, I should say. Um, inbound kind of blended with the outbound. So I started getting a lot of emails. Hey, we got your name from so-and-so. Um, we're interested in testing out of home. Um, and it got to the point, the first two years I was doing it for my company, I didn't care about making any extra salary money. I was like, yeah, I'm a company guy and my boss loves me and I'm proud of myself. And around year three, I was like, this is kind of ridiculous. Like I have about 25 extra brands here. This is a day job. I'm not getting paid really anything additional. And a bunch of my clients were like, Brian, if you go and start your own thing, like we will ultimately come with you. Why aren't you doing this in the first place? And it's a lot easier said than done. But around year three, three and a half, like I thought about the big picture, where am I going to go next at rapport? Like I've been running the New York office. Like I didn't want to be sitting in a conference room with other holding company executives talking about P&Ls and like not having my hands dirty, building plans. I just said, all right, time to do it. Like 2019, this is going to be the year. Let me get the business plan together. Let me see how I envision this thing running and going. Um, and that was it. I like kind of ripped the bandaid off and resigned in May of 2019 and started Quan in July of 2019. And um, July of this year will be our fourth year. And I am having the time of my life. Like I, there has been a lot of bumps in the road, but like I could not envision myself doing anything, anything else for the rest of my career. That's amazing. I love that. And yeah. your enthusiasm feels infectious. I can feel it through the screen right now. So <laughs> starting in, starting your agency in July of 2019, I mean, that's not exactly right before COVID, but you know, it's a, it's a, about a half a year before yeah. COVID. Was that tricky? How, what did you do when kind of shit hit the <laughs> fan, if you will? Yeah, there was two, two shits hitting the fans <laughs> to just, to, and I haven't really spoken much about this. The first one was that I consider myself a nice guy, a very friendly guy, very open-minded, and to a fault, maybe here and there, naive. And I thought I was going to strut out of my time at Rapport, leaving on incredible, impeccable terms, and then ultimately because we were, you know, for intents and purposes, my clients that I had cultivated and grown, I thought they would come with me and, you know, follow me over to Quan, and everyone would be happy and it would be all hunky-dory and that would be it. And unfortunately, or for, you just can't do that when you're dealing with a holding company, so I got a little slap on the hand. So that was like the shit hitting the fan the first time. Um, not really fun to get a cease and desist. Uh, disappointing. Uh, fortunately, nothing legal out of it. But it was um, it was upsetting for me. But also at the same time, to be very fair, I realized that maybe I should slow myself down a bit and like scale. Um, Wait, so did that mean you had to leave all these clients you had cultivated yes, relationships? Es essentially, I had to. Yeah. Um, and in fairness, like I signed an agreement. So there was nothing done on my end maliciously. It was just overexcitement. Um, and you live and you learn. It was a great business lesson for me. And and all I could say to my my brands were, and I say to this day, like my old agency was a fantastic shop. You're going to be in great hands. I'm like, let's talk when my employment agreement expires. Um, and that was it. And I said, you know, there's so many brands out there. Let's start building relationships with new brands. So that's what I did. Number one, really built up some really great relationships, got some campaigns off, off the ground. The first few months, I'll never forget, like Dagny Dover, a brand that I absolutely adore being probably biggest first campaign to launch and it was it was all fine and good and then COVID did roll around we were ready to go pretty pretty full speed in 2020 had some really big buys set to go we had worked a great campaign for away with uh, Serena Williams that had just 
gone, gone pretty amazing um, in, in both New York and LA. And after that, we had a bunch of stuff booked and then obviously COVID happened and every brand obviously raced out to cancel. Fortunately, we didn't have too much booked past March, um, but we had some pretty big campaigns in March and April and we had breaks on it. And look, what are you going to do? I'm the type of person that if something bad happens, you take a deep breath, you get upset for a second, then it's like, okay, A is at the end of the world and B, how are you going to rectify this? How are you going to make things like better? And like, let's, nothing's changing. So let's like make the best of it and, and figure out how to handle it. And that's exactly what I did. So um, you know, my, my wife freaked out and said, we need to leave New York and go to her parents in Florida. So we drove down and stayed there for three months. But every single morning in Florida, I could have gone to the pool, kind of for a jog, hung out and said, when out of home's back, it's back. But I set up an office um, in an empty bedroom at my in-law's house. And every morning at eight o'clock, I woke up, I got my iced coffee, I put on jeans, I put on a polo, and I sat in front of my computer, I emailed clients. I worked proactively on plans. I stayed on top of traffic patterns in cities that were reopening. And I worked with media partners to get these amazing deals that were 80% off, 90% off. Because to be honest, they were going to take any money at that point, as I should. Like, out of home was essentially dead. Um, and I was marrying, you know, these amazing deals with what cities were reopening, as well as like thinking proactively, like, okay, hypothetically in New York, like, let's put together a package of those digital Link NYC kiosks, all outside of pharmacies and supermarkets, essential businesses, where even if there was a lockdown, people mm -hmm. had to leave and go. Mm -hmm. um, and we got brands to actually come out and start to spend a little bit and test out of home. And granted, it was like, you know, 90% off, 90% off. We were doing that while at the same time I was sending out weekly newsletters on what was going on in the at-home industry, you know, transit patterns, traffic patterns, air travel patterns. Um, and we really did make the best of it. I, I networked my ass off for like five months. There was a nice little two-month period in the summer where like things reopened, outdoor dining, all that. Kind of went back again in the fall. But by the time the end of 2020 rolled around, I was like, okay, like, we're not where we want to be. I'll never forget my CFO like said to me like, you may want to start to look at look at taking a lot of credit out, like you know, you, you just just to be safe. Like I don't know what's going to happen. And the second January rolled around, twenty twenty one, like buys started to trickle in, vaccines were coming out, all that. And by the third, fourth week in, in January, I was like, okay, here we go. This is what we've been waiting for. And like by March or April that year, my CFO said to me, "I'm like our weekly finance close. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you guys doing?" And it felt so good. I'm like, this is what I envisioned when I started Quam. Like. We just needed to get to this moment. He's like, whatever you're doing, keep it up because this is nuts. You, you have these buys rolling in and here we are. So like a, a few shit hitting the fan moments, but like you can't let those things like kill you. Um, you can get upset for three seconds, but then you got to move on. I love that attitude. And I mean, what I'm picking up from you is that when and tell me if I'm wrong or not, but when you deal with setbacks, it kind of lights more of a fire under your ass, if you will, and, and it, it motivates you more. Yeah, I mean, look, like the one thing also that's a personal issue, people have imposter syndrome. For me, it's like I I like when everyone likes me. It's not a rea re realistic thing for anyone, but like I don't like drama. I don't like being in fights with people. So like knowing that I had a, my old agency, like that got me down. It was like very, and like I had, you know, my, my old boss, it was just very upsetting for me. Fortunately, all of that is in the past and things have been rectified. So it's all nice. But yeah, like things like that. Like I just, I do use it as fuel because it's like, okay, so I can't work with these brands. Like, turn around and start to work with these brands and a very funny thing happened not i don't want to come off sounding cocky like the end of that story is that when my non-compete did go up and my employment agreement expired those brands that i had cultivated relationships with come back um <laughs> and they can't it's not rocket science it's just that it's it's a relationship driven industry and nothing is more important to me than client service and doing right by brands and 
I don't think it was anything having to do with my old agency. It was just that they enjoyed working with me. And that was, yeah, that was yeah. that's powerful. There are a lot of lessons embedded in here, but I want to get yeah. to out of home. So why don't you define for people what out of home is? So out of home is anything that's not digital print. Well, I shouldn't say digital. I'll get into that, but not like you know, social, digital, online, print or broadcast. So anything that's literally outside the home, you see a billboard out of home, you go to the movies and see an ad before your movie starts. That's out of home. You're in LaGuardia and you see a beautiful digital spectacular. That's where I landed yesterday. That is out of home. So literally anything outside the home at the same time, you know, you see M.M. LaFleur driving around a gigantic, you know, glass bus through New York with pop up showroom, which they did do. That is out of home. So like I said earlier, an unlimited creative canvas, um, obviously so many different tactics and formats that make up the channel. That's really awesome. And how, this is a big question, because um, there are a lot of complexities to this, I'm sure, but roughly, how does it work? Yeah. So, I mean, on, on the side that, that I work on and the way that we work and, and my fellow out-of-home specialists is essentially brands of all shapes and sizes. You know, they'll come to us and they'll say, look, we, we have X amount of dollars that we are looking to spend or allocate towards out-of-home. And here are our goals. This is what we're looking to, you know, do, whether it's drive store traffic, create general brand awareness, you know, drive online traffic. This is the audience we want. Maybe it's, you know, adults 18 to, to 34 who subscribe to two streaming services and belong to a gym, shop online. Um, and here are maybe neighborhoods or core zips, you know, whatever information that, that is basic brief without too intricate. And they basically put our hands, the, the ability to build them a multifaceted strategic outdoor advertising campaign. So maybe based on that information and we're in New York being the mark, we're looking at digital bus shelters that make sense with a beautiful painted wall in Williamsburg that also makes sense with, you know, dominating the subway station at Broadway Lafayette because it's down in Soho and that audience index is very high there. Um, and that to me is the fun part when you're getting these fun markets and there is so many different pieces of out of home um, and, and you're not just relying on one, you're kind of building this strategic multifaceted campaign that encompasses different formats in the out of home space. Um, mm -hmm. and, and at the same time, they leave it in our hands to tell them like, this is what you could expect with this budget. This is maybe how I would approach an early stage test budget. And, uh, and also like if you're looking to measure the effectiveness, like this is what you could also expect on, on that side of things as well. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about landing in San Francisco or Los Angeles or driving down Sunset Boulevard in LA is just seeing how much you can tell about the dominant industries of a specific geographic location by the advertisements you see outside the home, right? Like if you walk down or if you drive down Sunset Boulevard, people aren't really walking down that length. Um, in LA, you just see tons of movies and shows being, you know, advertised and also a lot of fashion and luxury. When you get into San Francisco, it's all B2B SaaS. It's all like dev tools. It is like the most yeah. esoteric technical things. And it's like, wow, this is really a one industry town. So I, I think I know what you're going to say to this, but who is out of, out of home for and who is it not for? I think, first of all, this is such a cop-out answer, but out of home is literally for everybody. It's, it's for every type of brand in every single category. It's for celebrities that want to do a, a stunt or promote themselves. It's for SaaS and B2B brands. It's obviously for fashion brands, retail, it's for D2C. I mean, it's ultimately like the best brand legitimacy tool out there, obviously. But at the same time, like it gets you in front of your audience in an unblockable, unmissable format. So I would never, ever say like, at home is not for X. You know what? At home is not for brands that are trying to measure it apples to apples and look at it exactly like you look at other channels. That's what at home is not for. Um, I had a brand I worked with 
a year, year and a half ago. And they were fantastic and I loved them and they were great, D2C brand. But like, we ran an out of home test and I very much level set ahead of time. Like, this is how I would take over this neighborhood. This is the, the formats I would go with. And like, they just were so hung up on looking at it, like measuring every single little thing like they would look at like Facebook or paid social. And I was like, guys, like, you know, our analytics team, myself, like, you can't, you know, what went right, right? What went wrong, went wrong. But like, you can't look at out of home that way. So that's who out of home is not for. If you're ready to sit down and really be comfortable spending whatever that budget is that you want to allocate to as out of home, then like, let's chat and let's talk and like, we'll, we'll come together and find a common, you know, for your brand. Mm-hmm. So what, how should they be thinking about measurement and performance and how to tell if it's working for them or not? I think it's two prong. Uh, measurement and performance is super important to me. So, you know, when I started Quan, I, I decided to partner strategically with the Sandtech platform at Quick. Um, so, so we have access to their their platform and, and their measurement solutions are pretty great um, in that, you know, we work with them, you know, whenever we have a brand that does look to do some um, type of measurement or attribution. So there's two ways, two or three ways, right? Do it internally. Um, whatever you have a call to action, a specific vanity URL, maybe you're tracking via QR code and you work with flow code, who's fantastic um, in terms of coming up with vanity QR codes and backend tracking and all that good tech. You know, you work with us and we do a sales lift analysis, causal lift analysis, where you give us access to historical sales data able to build a predictive course of how adding out of home, you know, into your media mix led to whatever those KPIs are, drive to site, increase in sales, so on and so forth. Or if you're a little bit of a bigger brand or not even a bigger brand, you just have really a strong number of uniques per month. Like we do an attribution dashboard where you're able to see all the individual out of home formats that you're running, exposures, conversions, exposure, you know, conversion timing. Um, Obviously we pixel in that, in that case, we pixel like whatever sites you're looking for, landing page, checkout, et cetera. Builds a pretty nice story as to like what form performed the best for you. If out of home is going to be a continuous part of your media mix, what we want to optimize the next time around, maybe we go with X, Y, and Z and we cut out, you know, B and C. Um, in the case of like running street level out of home, if you're running like 150 digital bus shelters, maybe the ones, you know, you get to see exposures and conversions per shelter. And maybe the ones that are performing the best you keep on your next plan, you knock out the bottom performing ones. So there's that. And then there's also like doing something along the lines of a brand lift study, which is always nice because it really can tell you at a deeper level, like, you know, intent, awareness, um, awareness to competitors, because you can kind of customize your questions. So, I mean, there's a lot there. And obviously, out-of-home measurement is not the point where it's like fully refined yet, but it continues to be prioritized in our industry. Um, and it's being flushed out. And there are ways to effectively measure out-of-home. I think the, the best way to do it is with your specialist or whomever you're working with on, on the buy side, and then obviously doing something internally as well, and then marrying both and kind of seeing, you know, what worked the most. Got it. So it sounds like every campaign, every brand, uh, you have a somewhat of a bespoke approach depending on their campaign yeah. goals, their what they, you know, how what they like to look at, what their objectives are. But are there specific KPIs? You just called out a few, but are there specific KPIs that are the most common to look at to just assess, you know, high level where this is going directionally? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think obviously site traffic, increase in site traffic, drive to site, like, you know, that that's a big one. Store traffic, if you have a brick and mortar location that's being supported by an out of home campaign, is always going to be huge. Um, those two definitely continue to be the, the most prominent. Obviously, sales lift, like, are you seeing a spike in sales um, at the same time that you're running an out of home campaign? Now, obviously, if you're running multiple channels, like, there could be considered 
quote unquote noise, but like it should be noticeable. Out of home also has been proven to work very well in tandem with other channels, specifically, you know, um, mobile, digital, um, as well as connected TV. So those are the things that we continue to see as like predominant KPIs. But yes, we have a very bespoke approach to every single campaign. And I always say like the way that I look at GoPuff in New York is not going to be the way I look at Dormy in New York. It's brands are so incredibly important to us and my team, the way that we plan them, um, that just never cop out and use a campaign strategy or approach. It's every audience is, is completely different and every brand is different. Um, and it's so important to us that they believe in the channel and believe that it's working for them, that we're going to sit there, whether the budget is 30 K or whether the budget is, you know, 1.2 million and say, okay, what is our, you know, this, these were our dollars and we're spending them. Like what is the best way to utilize that spent and then mm-hmm. see ultimate success. When it comes to the different formats and the different placements, what are the yeah. categories of options for brands? Oh, it's so much fun. This is like the best part, especially when you have a brand and you're like, all right, we're like New York, LA, San Fran, Chicago. I mean, you have like traditional, which is like billboards, you know, posters, which are smaller billboards, the large format giant walls that everyone loves. You have street level bus shelters, Link NYC in New York, newsstands, transit, subway, you know, rail, um, place-based, which are like captivate elevator screens, you know, cinema advertising, place-based digital, basically. So digital screens in the gym as well. Um, airport mall, which for themselves. Um, and, and then you also have like um, transit in vehicular. I mentioned some, but like buses, digital taxi tops, static taxi tops, and then experiential and non-traditional projections, um, you know, doing a pop-up shop somewhere, doing something at Governor's Bowl or Lollapalooza, um, really sitting with a brand and saying, okay, how could we truly um, do something that's outside the box and really connect us one-to-one with our consumers? Um, and we've done a lot of that at Quan, which is amazing. And I like to say that I did learn that from my old agency because we did a lot of that at Rapport. So, um, yeah, that that's kind of like the different buckets of the out-of-home industry from a format. Are there certain formats you, you guys help brands utilize more than others? What are some of the most popular common uh, formats? I would say, to, to be really honest, like, no, it's, it's kind of so different on every single, you know, brand that we work on. I mean, more common is definitely going to always be street level and traditional, you know, you're having brands that want those large walls, that want billboards, that want bus shelters, um, you know, but at the same time, we have brands that love Gorilla Wild postings that everyone, you know, knows. Um, I think every brand that does out of home is kind of obsessed with them. I have brands that love street level painted murals that are incredible. Um, and then we have brands that love to be on a digital floating boat down in Miami, which is a very real thing um, that I love. If you're a brand and you're planning Miami for out of home, and you're working with us, I will recommend that digital boat every single time that I look at Miami. It's just so good. Um, and anyone that's been there uh, knows that. So yeah, I mean, those are the more common ones. You know, I- I'm very bullish on airport. I think airport is so smart for brands, um, depending on the market. Um, you know, nothing against Columbus, Ohio, but if we're planning Columbus, Ohio. Odds are I'm not mixing an airport. If you're a brand and like you're spending a little bit and you're in New York, like you should be looking at the new LaGuardia or, you know, if you're a brand and you're spending in LA, like, why aren't you looking at LAX? Um, because you could break down by terminal. You can get into lounges. You could in at specific concourses. You could be a baggage claim. Like super fun, big captive audience, and obviously air travel is like nuts now. So, uh-huh. so when is the right time? Uh, and I'm guessing you're going to say there are a lot of different stages uh, at which brand yeah. more. But but what what's sort of like the cutoff where you're like, oh, you might be a little early. This might not get you the ROI that you're looking for. Yeah. Versus, oh, you're really at the at the right stage for this. It's tough because it may it makes me sound contradictory because one of the really 
big, big things I built Quan around is like, we'll work with brands of any size and any, and, and we'll be very upfront with them. But in all honesty, like if you're a brand and you're looking to do, you know, out of home and spend 10K, 5K, 20K, like, and really at that point, like also harp on measurement and seeing like sincere lift, like then out of home isn't the right, you know, right for you at that point. Um, now, at the same time, if you're a brand and you're looking to spend 5K, 10K, 20K, I think you just want to generate some awareness and sure it'd be great if, if there's some lift, but like you have a specific KPI and, you know, that's secondary to you, that then out of home is right for you at that point. That's fine. Um, when you first start to get into that and out of home is bought on usually in four week increments. So like when you're at the 50K, 75K mark um, in terms of budgets and you have, you know, an audience that you're focusing on or zips that you're focusing on. Um, that would be like yeah, where uh, then we could start to weave in measurement a little bit at home is totally fine for brands with 5k 15k spend just like again you have to like level set as a brand like it can't be the end all be all for you spending in this channel if like you feel like it didn't perform or you know you weren't able to measure it down to a t that that that's what out of home is you know isn't mm-hmm. what are some common myths about out of home oh that's a good question what are common myths about out of home? It's super expensive. I mean, CPMs are like six, seven, eight dollars when we're done negotiating, not to pat ourselves in the back, sometimes even lower than that. Um, out of home is not expensive. Like you are smart with your dollars and you have creative ready to go. Like you work with the right people. There are insane deals out there, strong options. Um, so yeah, I won't drone on and on, but out of home being expensive, out of home having a long lead time. Like we get creative, we can go live on a printed asset in 10 days. Um, wow. obviously for, di- for digital out of home, you get creative. If I got creative right now for digital bus shelters, like we'd be live in an hour or first thing tomorrow morning. Um, so long lead times, like the only time there's really like a long lead time is like, if you're doing a painted mural for obvious reasons, which is very much worth it, by the way, one of my favorite tactics. Um, if you're doing like a full subway station takeover with so many different formats, like then it's like, yeah, three weeks, obviously. Um, you know, I think that out of home should be a, th- out of home is a secondary or a third channel for brands to turn to in, in their growth stages. I think that's a myth. Like a lot of brands have started to prioritize out of home as a go-to-market channel. Um, it's not a secondary channel anymore. Um, and then at oh, and then obviously the biggest one I think that out of home is only an awareness play. I don't think that's the case. I think obviously, look, I will say to anyone, there's nothing more exciting to me than when a brand comes to me and says, Hey, Brian, this is a big awareness play. We have this is the budget and we wanna go wild in, in Boston. I mean, I, I don't think anyone built an awareness campaign, you know, but that's not the reality. Um, there is measurement involved, there's attribution involved. So look, I, I mentioned earlier that there are ways to understand the effectiveness of out of home as a channel. So out of home, just simply being looked at as like an awareness play is, is such, you know, common myth. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's like four of them. Mm-hmm. Got it. And when it comes to a brand, just first approaching you first approaching dipping their toes into the waters of out of home, how should they think about testing? So what is the sequence by which ideally um, they would be, you know, adding, incorporating this into their media mix? Yeah, it's usually one of two things. One, they are getting gearing up for like a a big launch moment or a big product drop, something like that. And there are a few other channels working and they want out of home to kind of amplify that, whether it's a few units, whether it's one big unit. I love working with the brand trough because they've run some incredible social campaigns but they've amplified with out of home and they don't, and like, they don't need to spend a ton because they do such a great job on their other channels. Who has the best cheesesteak in Philadelphia, grabbing a huge wall in the heart of, you know, center city, 
to help promote that contest. That's obviously also being seen on TikTok and other channels. Like, no brainer. Same thing. It was the best deep dish in Chicago. Same exact like approach. So yeah, amplifying, you know, a moment, a campaign, a product drop, or, you know, I, I would say like earlier on, just, just using it in general as like prime building awareness, you know, driver, um, mm-hmm. capitalizing kind of on opportunistic moments as a brand, like that would be you know, another, another moment I would say. And, um, you're kind of alluding to them already, but what are some best practices when it comes to out of home? And then what are some common mistakes? Yeah. Best practices is like having great creative and not being too wordy. I mean, having great creative is so like obvious, but like really like taking the time to look at the creative as, okay, this is going to live in out of home. Like sometimes you can repurpose, um, create views on other channels, especially with digital out of home. Um, and it works really well, but really, you know, saying to yourself like okay if i'm walking by a certain placement like and i see this is this going to pop for me um you know being on digital placements in the out of home space that offer up full motion or motion capabilities but not running motion or full motion like that that's kind of like a wasted opportunity you could look at the end of the day with digital out of home if you have great creative and you have multiple creative messages you don't necessarily need motion if you're on a motion unit but like if you are on digital newsstands or shelters in new york city that offer up motion kind of a waste to run stack you know obviously you're not going to do that if you're on a massive digital spectacular that offers if you're on one Times square you're on the godzilla screen in the heart of Times square like you're not going to run static creative on there but yeah um i think you know being too word heavy um not having a specific call to action you don't necessarily need one i guess depending on the campaign objectives are but it's always nice to have like a good strong logo if you're using multiple creatives which I do think brands that utilize out of home should. It's fun. Having an ongoing theme with that creative. Like, I, I would say something that comes to mind in New York City, there is this um, Neobank current ran a big out of home campaign about a year and a half ago. And all of the creative alluded to different New York type things like, you know, I'd rather wait in traffic for the Holland Tunnel and wait online for a bank. And it was the same color scheme, same branding, but different messages throughout the city on different formats, which allowed individuals and consumers to be like, okay, after the first you know week or two of this campaign running, it's like, okay, this is current. Now I'm kind of wanting to look more at the messaging um, because it's so fun and so relevant to New York. And I think Casper was like one of the first brands that did such a fantastic job with that. It was like puzzles and cartoons, but the same color scheme and the same branding scheme. And it's like, got it. Um, and, and to that degree, brands that utilize contextual messaging and really like think about like, okay, unless you're promoting a product or, you know, you're obviously promoting an event. Like if you're in a, in a major market, like you have the ability to be super creative and create moments that are going to live a second life on social and be amplified, you know, by potential consumers, like take the time to think about it. Don't just slap a logo on a billboard or on a subway. Unless of course, like that's part of also a mixture of like things to do, best practices and, and some, some bad. So it sounds like the brands are generally responsible for creating the creatives. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of two-pronged, too. Like, normally brands will come to us not going to ask us to create creative, but they may ask us for, like, would this look better on a board? What do you think about this messaging? What messaging looks better? If they're thinking about messaging, like, I'm always going to provide, you know, what I think is great because that's just, that's the type of person I am. I'm uber creative. Um, But I would say, yeah, nine times out of ten, a brand either is working with an in-house creative team or they work with an external creative team, and we work as it, you know, 
in whatever way they want us to work. We work with their creative shops to help provide, you know, specs and, and approaches to the out of home that they're, that they're looking at. And at the same time, we work with their in-house team, you know, based on whatever is easier. Mm-hmm. What are some things you've learned as an agency since being founded in 2019 about how to mm-hmm. best execute on this for brands and also how to, you know, keep growing the agency and yeah. um, anything on either end of this? There literally, this is not, this is not a secret or secret sauce. There is nothing that is more important than client service, first and foremost. I, I think what really sets us apart, and this is just how I'm wired and my team has kind of followed the lead, is that I have always been the fastest email responder in the world. People should test me. I, I welcome it. Um, I'm going to test you responding. now. Test, test me. I'm not going to do it now because I'm, uh, I'm filming yeah. with you, but like, I, don't, I only don't respond if I'm A, sleeping, or B, playing pick basketball. That's what I say. Otherwise, you'll hear back from me right away. If it's Saturday at 3 o'clock, you'll hear back from me. If it's you know Tuesday at 11 a.m., you'll hear back from me. Mm-hmm. And I think clients understanding that like this is supposed to be an out-of-home concierge. We're here for you. Like Brands move quickly. They, odds are our client has to answer to somebody else above them you know, or to a team. And we want to be there for them and let them know that we're working relentlessly for them. I just got back from... OAAA conference, which is out of homes, you know, Association of America down in, in Nashville. And I had eight brands that we work with come down to speak voluntarily on their own time. And that meant so much. And it was so um, humbling because these are brands that like we've become friends with me, me and my team, but also that like we've done right by that we've helped grow. Um, and, and to see how um, how much they jumped at the ability or at the opportunity, I should say, to do that, like meant the world. So if you don't, you don't take care of your brands or your clients, you're going to be screwed and you're not going to succeed. And to that point, leading to another thing that I've kind of learned is that, you know, you do right by brands. You don't need to do really any cold outreach because those brands are going to do right by you and send other people your way. I, I have a list of probably 200 brands I'm dying to work with um, that I try to get to send out one cold email a week, something, you know, to try and convince them to, to, to have one conversation. Um, but I oftentimes don't get to it because our inbound is so strong because I'm hearing well, we got your name from so-and-so, or we love the work you did here, or we saw you know, your, your work on, on Instagram, and there's nothing better than that. So you know, building that network, I, I would say, is like a secondary thing, like building a strong network of great brands and great clients that you do right by, but also you know, not judging brands based on how small they are, how big they are, what how much money they have to spend. Um, you got to be there and be be receptive and work with brands, whether they have that 10K that I was mentioning earlier or whether they have a million dollars and treat each one of them the same way. I think hiring the right people, I don't know. It's kind of like, I, I always admire, you know, Alex Lieberman, founder of Morning Brew, because he's always throwing out such great tips. It's not about just Morning Brew and Marketing Brew, how he's scaled his business and hired and been successful. And I have hired my younger brother and I've hired one of my best friends and I've hired my former co-group director. So I'm doing basically, Everyone kind of tells you not to do. You don't hire friends and family. It's kind of crazy. But you do do that if you trust them and B, you speak about opportunity at length before you make that move. And I spoke to my younger brother who was at another agency, you know, for a very long time before making this move. Because ultimately, he would be working for me, even though we do work together. Um, and I did want to be in discomfort or, or awkwardness. And there, I, we haven't had one fight since starting, since starting to work together. My best friend who got me funny enough into the industry um, and was the one who told me to go apply at Zenith, like same deal. Like he, he, you know, we work together as one team, but like, obviously he works for me and we haven't had one fight and, and there's constructive criticism in there both ways, but like you have to learn how to communicate 
and at the same time, build the right people around you because you're not going to start out the gate with a team of 50. You're going to start with one person alongside you or three people. And we're a team of five right now. And it's just like it feels like like a family. It feels like I did when I walked in the door at Rapport, my old agency, um, where I was had the best four years of my career because it's such a warm type of group of people. So I don't know. I'm, I'm droning on and on. But I think that and obviously, most importantly, get a great back office. I'm not going to sit here and promote my CFO um, and his team who do incredible back office management people on the side and I'd gladly give out their information. But I had a little, you know, an interesting first year getting, getting Quan up and running and, and the way that we were handling invoicing and like, you know, paying certain brands, paying certain vendors before getting in from brands, brands, so on and so forth. And when I went to my CFO and, and his whole team, he just cleaned up the books, professionally got me in a really good place also became my personal CPA. Um, and it is just, I'm so proud to say that like, it's a commonality in out of home that like, when you're on the agency side, you don't pay vendors for 90 days, sometimes 120 days, sometimes 150 days. It's crazy. And like, I hate that. Um, and it's a bad, bad rap that agencies get. And we are so good with, you know, having brands pay us on time, we invoice on time, and then we turn around and immediately pay our media partners who work relentlessly for us. And I think that is so important because then those media partners are like, okay, well, they pay us on time. They do great by us. Let it, let's give them great deals. Let's give them great rates. Let's give them first to market looks. Um, having an incredible back office would be dead without. Like, it's just everything to me. So mm-hmm. a bunch of things that I've kind of learned. Um, but also don't be afraid to hire friends and family. Just like do it, but do it do it with a lot of people. How do you think about scaling the agency? Because it seems it seems tricky because so much of it is based on these quality relationships and so much of it probably revolves around you right now. So how do you think about that? I'm really glad you said that because that's, you know, obviously sat at my old job and was like, OK, three and a half years in, what's next for the rest of my career? And it would have been being an executive in the holding world. And that's not what I wanted. Uh, so now, like anyone else in any career, it's like, what's next for Quan? Like, it's four years. We're fortunately doing really well. I'm having the time of my life. There's going to be a next step. Um, Look, I mean, I will say a few things. One, I see the next step inevitably meet. I'm fortunate enough to work with some really incredible independent shops that are very like-minded to me and my team, work with the same types of brands. I mean, we kind of work collaboratively. Sometimes they need some help on an out-of-home project, whatever the case is. Do I see a strategic partnership or, or something like that down the road? Sure. That would have to make really, really, really strong sense for me. It's not immediate. Um, but it would have to make sense, but that would be something that I think makes a lot more sense than me turning around and moving back into the holding company world where, you know, I kind of feel like I've run my course there. I'm definitely needed for brands, but not needed for me. The relationships that you hear too, like they, that you're talking about, yes, there's not going to be a selling of Quan down the road. Like I love out of home so much that I hope that clients and brands love me when I'm 55 years old, the same way that they love me when I'm 39 years old. Um, I want to keep doing this. Like, I, I want to keep building plans. I want to keep being involved in the day to day. Like, I don't want there to be, I'm not going to sell Quan because again, like the brands that work with us, they don't only love me. They love Brandon, Ashley, Craig, um, and Alyssa as well, my whole team. But like, and not that they love me, there's like arguments here and there and things that happen. But like, yes, we do. We're, we're proud of the relationships we built. I think that, you know, it would have to be a situation that makes Quan stronger, continues what we've built and, and look, the values that we've kind of built this this shop on 
um, but maybe allows us to do more for our clients and offer up more for our clients. The same way, you know, out of home as a channel is just killing it. Um, there's so much press around it from a stat standpoint that you can Google. And I think this channel is here to stay and it's just going to only continue to grow year over year as, as we head into the 2030s. But I, I think there's going to be a point down the road where like, yeah, maybe we become bigger. And, and ultimately, my goal would be to be the largest out of home specialist out there independently, I should say, not mm -hmm. not, you know, from a holding company world. And there's other great out of home specialists out there and other great competitors to me. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of brands out there. So I like to kind of stay in my lane. Like there's going to be crossover. There's going to be times where brands come from, jump from one shop to another and vice versa. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the future is. It's, it's interesting. I'm really happy that that's something I have to really think of because it means that, that at least Quan has been a success. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to some of the bigger players in your space, right? You were at an agency that yeah. had um, an, uh, an operation like this. And, and so when it comes to some of those bigger players, what is the competitive advantage that you guys provide? Yeah, that's, that's, I'm happy you also asked that. So the bigger players are not really our competition, first of all, like, and I love them. I have so many friends there and they're awesome. Um, there's no one quicker than us out there. I will say it. I'll put it on record. I, I mentioned it earlier. Like, you're just not going to, people can try to now if I'm, I'm not afraid of saying that, but like, we are so quick and so flexible. There is no seven to 10 business days. There's no two weeks we'll get back to you. Um, and I'm not throwing shade at any of the larger agencies. I'm just saying commonalities in the agency world in general on, with any channel, like, get back if you shoot me an email tonight we're a brand hey brian we need three great boards in soho we have a launch coming up in may um here's our budget odds are i'll probably flip that back to you by tomorrow it's so easy we know exactly who to reach out to what makes sense for the brand why make you wait for five days like you want that you know and then and then we'll kind of chat about it together i i think at the same time uh non-biased towards brands of shapes and sizes and budgets could be agencies that'll turn down a brand that has a 20k spend we're never going to do that no matter how big we get like it's mm -hmm. just not who i am and i think that our knowledge the, the, the one thing that i'm so proud of and this was not planned either i get really pumped about it the miami heat years ago signed lebron james chris bosh Dwayne wade and everyone was like this is a super team oh my god they should win a million nba championships and they won two in the four years they were together i have hired people that have eight plus years of out-of-home experience this, my, my COO co-ran my old agency with me in the New York in the New York office. Like we are the only out of home shop out there where, and it's going to change because we do need to grow, you know, talent and bring in some some lower level. But we right now, whoever you work with, Aquan, if it's me, if it's Ashley, if it's Alyssa, Brandon, Craig, everyone here has run some of the largest brands out there um, and worked at some of the biggest shops out there. You're getting like a, a true out of home expert, and we're super proud of that. Um, and look, I just can't work on every piece of business myself, and I don't care because I know whoever they're, they're, someone's working with is killing it. Um, and there is no shop out there. Sorry, there's no one else. I know for a fact. So yeah, I mean, all, all, all of those things you know, make me really proud to say that I think Quan's really special. At the same time, like the four or five, six other really great out-of-home specialist shops there are fantastic. And there have been times where we've lost a piece of business or I found out a brand I want to work with has gone elsewhere. And it is what it is, but I'm a firm believer that like they're gonna probably get introduced to us at some point down the road, and you know if it happens, great. If not, there's gonna be another brand that comes in and and you know kills it with us. The marketing landscape has changed so much over the last, I mean, uh, decade plus. Yeah. How has out of home evolved, and how has the role of out of home in the the media mix for brands evolved? Well, first, out of home has evolved in general as it just was like billboards, subway, 
and you measure it by saying 50,000 cars pass by this point a day and that's it. And that was like, when I speak to people and they're like, well, how is out of home adapting differently in this you know, time of economic uncertainty versus like 2008? I'm like, well, in 2008, you were, you were measuring, you know, out of home based off of DEC and cars going by. And also there was like no true digital out of home really, except for roadside digital billboards and the occasional Times Square screen. Um, now, like you have these painted walls, you have digital, you know, in the actual subway cars, you have these incredible, like beautiful street level kiosks in, in major markets. And at the same time, you know, you have the ability to follow a consumer from them getting on the Metro North in the morning and being in Grand Central, then getting into a taxi or even walking by a taxi, then getting into the elevator of their office building, um, so on and so forth. Like you could follow a consumer in their daily journey. So the vastness of the out-of-home space and how many different formats there are, like that has truly changed. And then with that out-of-home, you know, in the media world, because of, you know, the unblockable format, the unmissable nature, the leaps and bounds in measurement, the evolution in programmatic digital out of home, which we didn't even touch on, the evolution in standard digital out of home, like all of that coming together as one, like is the reason the channel continues to excel um, and perform really well year over year, sans 2020 for obvious reasons. Um, and that's kind of how it's changed in the marketing myths. It's exciting. Look, I'm not touting out of home because this is my life and my industry. It's like, I truly believe like this channel is like, People want to go make a lot of money in their career coming out of college and they're going to immediately, okay, let's, let me go be a lawyer. Let me go be a doctor. Let me be an actor. And I want to go back to my, my, my college Towson and, and go to the mass comm department and be like, look, if you guys are smart, when I mean, you really want to get into advertising, like you can make some seriously good money in out of home. It's going to be around for a long time. It's only going to evolve. Brands love it. Um, so, so think about it. They just don't do a good job in like colleges of like treat. Everyone's like, I work in advertising. I watch Mad Men. And I'm like, cool. Very passionate about it. I just think that like brands are finally saying, okay, um, we should probably really do this and do this, do this now. And the trades have done a great job of kind of picking up on it. The, you know, you're going to get a lot of creative love and get a lot of, you know, OTT love in the ad weeks and ad ages of the world. But there's a lot more out of home press. I'm getting a lot more calls from reporters on trends in out of home now than I did five years ago. Um, and yeah, if you're a brand and you really do it right, like you're going to be, remember, I mean, you spend 10K or whether you spend a million dollars, you just do it right. That's it. Mm -hmm. And and you're going to have like your moment throughout. Mm -hmm. How do you go about selecting the right target markets for a brand, for a campaign? Yeah, it's always going to be for me early on. Uh, unless if, if a brand is looking to us, like, where are we going to test? Where are we going to run? This is our, this is what we're looking at. I'm usually jumping into top 10 DMA. New York is my favorite market unbiasedly just because of how vast it is and you don't have to spend a lot of money in new york to see success you would think i would say la second i love la as an out-of-home market but it's very spread out so mm -hmm. i love chicago i love boston not sports wise only out of home <laughs> i love like i'm obsessed with miami and austin right now as out-of-home markets there's so much fun to plan and buy in i do love la it's just like that's a market where you really either have to have a little bit more budget or really be like my audience is in echo park silver lake and that's the only place i want to be um, so yeah, it's really like, we think long and hard about market prioritization. We always want to know as much about a brand's audience as possible. And then through access to some of the great ad tech I mentioned earlier, um, through some of, you know, the great audience planning tools, like the new star data, we're able to form, you know, psychographic heat maps in given markets and understand where an audience indexes higher, um, which is very helpful when there's a market that's broken down by neighborhoods, you know, you're looking at Philly and you're saying, okay, Rittenhouse, Fishtown, Center City. You know, sports complex, like where's, where's, 
where's my audience? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, we take market prioritization really serious. Those markets I mentioned earlier are all my favorites. I do think they perform really well. Um, Dallas too. And at the same time, we'll tell a brand if they come to us and they're like, all right, so we're thinking about launching an X, Y, and Z. And I don't have a trash markets on the show. I'll say, do you have any backup markets? Are you thinking about something else? Because this market does not have strong out-of-home viability. It's all billboards. You're not going to really pop. Um, maybe you look at another channel first and come back to out-of-home. I would rather a brand save their money than like try and go into a market that's not strong in out-of-home um, and then come back to out-of-home in the times. Uh-huh. And when you select these target markets and when you prioritize which geographies, are you typically basing it off of where are the customers already for this brand or what market are they looking to penetrate? It's usually either or. It's like a brand that's like, okay, we've seen such high sales lift and we have great sales data in these markets. So we want to kind of double down and go heavy or two things, three things, I should say. Number two, like this is our audience. Out of these, we're considering these five markets. Where does this audience index highest out of those markets? Or these are the markets that we like. We feel that we are not performing as high as we would like. So we really want to go strong and see if we can move the needle from a sales standpoint. So it's usually one of those three scenarios. Or like, this is a strict awareness play. You know, we're launching, like, get us all over the place. And if you ever come to us and you're like, us all over the place and you have the budget to support it, like, you're going to be all over the place <laughs> and save a lot of money too. But like be all over. It's, it's so much fun to, to plan out of home that way. But again, that is you know, four times out of 10. Got it. And are you guys mainly in the U S or do you have any plans to go international? Is that too tricky? Fun, fun fact. My COO is based in, in London. Um, mm-hmm. I, she moved over there a few years ago. So we do have international presence. We have ran campaigns um, aside from Ashley being there. We've ran campaigns in the UK mm-hmm. Dublin, in Australia, in Tokyo, Portugal, Barcelona. Um, so we have, uh, I'm excited. Kwan is, Kwan is definitely international, Toronto also. Um, you know, we have a very, very, very incredible sister agency that is based in London. Um, and we kind of work collaboratively with them when we have a brand that's looking to do something overseas. But like, we had a fantastic, you know, takeover of, you know, London for GoPuff last year. We've been with Manscaped, like I said, in Australia. So it's super awesome to see that we've grown. Like, I don't, in full transparency, like, do I see myself hiring a team in, like, Spain, Australia? Like, probably not yet. We have the proper firsthand, same type of approach to international markets um, we have to North American markets. So, proud to say that if a brand is looking to do something over there, we can definitely help them. Got it. And you touched on programmatic digital out of home. Um, let's, yeah. talk about, let's talk about that. What does that mean? And what do people need to know about it? Programmatic digital out of home is great. Um, it, it's definitely taking a larger chunk of the digital out of home ad dollars and and larger chunk. I would say it's, it's becoming a larger part. Um, it, it's basically like if you're honing in on a core audience and you're honing in on, you know, core markets and where you want to be and where that audience is, you, you basically buy digital out of home programmatically across multiple screens. So whereas I, 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 you know, admittedly love to curate out of home campaigns for brands, I Love when I'm planning New York to say you're going to be on digital bus shelters and link NYC screens and also on the digital screens in Grand Central. And then like on 20 digital billboards on I-95, you can buy programmatically and basically do that with the touch of a button bidding on, you know, lowest CPMs, et cetera. Um, kind of build a holistic campaign that weaves in mobile retargeting that may weave in a brand lift study or attribution. Um, there are some really great media partners out there 
that have done a great job, you know, in that space. Um, yeah, Vistar being one of them. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of a great opportunity for brands who are looking to, again, hone in on an audience and, and consumer journey to, to a little bit more flexible. Are there any other either creative trends or format-based trends that in Out of Home that you're excited about? Love. I got to do my first ever 3D digital out of home stunt thanks to my incredible friends at Mischief at No Fixed Address, who's probably they're just amazing people. Um, for Tubi over Super Bowl, I'm sure everyone saw the Tubi, not the ad that made you think you were at a commercial, um, but, but the ads with the bunny rabbits hopping down, you know, the rabbit hole. And we had some of the largest screens in the country in New York and LA that had enormous 3D rabbits popping out of them. So, again, it's ex- it's definitely an expensive execution, but. You know, there are such amazing eye-catching digital screens in some of the biggest markets and biggest airports, I should say, that if you wanted to do something in the digital, in the 3D space, you can definitely do it. So like that's becoming more popular. Everyone, I think, is kind of seeing the 3D activation out there. I do think that like experiential has become big again um, and and doing things that are a little bit more of a connection, a personal connection to brands, whether it is doing branded food trucks or pop-up shops or activations at music festivals. Those have become, you know, very prominent in the out-of-home space. I think 3D projections, projections in general, which are great to, like, support major events. You know, you want to hit an F1, you want to hit um, a Coachella, something like that. That is really great there. And then I think, like, using contextual and UGC creative. I love brands that, like, tap into their, you know, to their actual consumers. We ran Mm -hmm. multiple campaigns. We won an an OB, which is the Oscars of out-of-home, because we worked collaboratively with Thinks. We did an enormous painted wall in the middle of Williamsburg last fall um, and at night projected real consumers, period, worries of what their concerns of having their period in public onto this wall. And, and their concerns looked like splattered blood. Um, mm-hmm. And it was very bold and brash, but it won an award. It had people stopping. It was during the summer. It was incredible. Things was so smart. Friends at Colossal and Scenester worked with us on that. Um, and it was amazing. And at the same time, um, know we worked with um daily harvest where they have featured tons of real life um consumer recipes out and about on digital kiosks and on their creative bonza had done that as well real life parent concerns about feeding their children healthy food so like i love that ugc contextual creative like you know along with 3d uh digital out of home and experiential um activations all big big trends in, in creative i love that you're giving me ideas for content i can create on tiktok oh yeah definitely definitely so let's close out with uh, one more question. Uh, tell us about a campaign that you're really proud of. Oh, man. Um, campaign that I'm really proud of. This is going to be so hard because I'm proud of so many. So <laughs> many. Pick uh, your favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, obviously, you know, I, I think what we did um, recently grailed. I don't know. It just comes to mind because I love the fashion space. I um, mean, we recently like. We've been talking to Grailed for maybe two years, and we ran their first ever out-of-home campaign, brand awareness campaign in New York and L.A. recently, and it was not a you know, 35-format plan, but it was strategic in, in where we were, what neighborhoods we were, the formats that we were you know, on, and it was a nice three-month campaign, not a four-week campaign. Um, bottom line, without you know, being fair to the brand and giving away anything proprietary, performed well um, for them. And they saw success from it, and they were happy with it. And there was like a lot of back and forth early on and finding the right units based on the brand audience and making sure they were in the right neighborhoods, um, changing up creative mid-flight as well to make sure to feature the the, the talent um, and, and to see how excited they were as a company 
um, to see the personal Instagrams of my clients that I work with, and to love to see the company Instagram. Um, and then at the end of the day, we did do some light measurement and to see that it did perform you know, well um, and ultimately, you know, made them believe in the channel. Like that made me super, super um, proud. Also, like, again, a brand that I had worked long and hard with, um, you know, to, to kind of get going. So I love Grailed. Hopefully they're going to be doing more um, this year. And yeah, that makes me super proud. Obviously Skims. I know you mentioned it earlier. I'm not too, but like to, to be able, and in fairness, there was another we work very, we're, we're, we try to play nice in the sandbox. There was another out of home specialist that also worked a little bit collaboratively on the skims campaign. They did some stuff. We did some stuff. So it wasn't all Quan to be fair, um, but we did a lot. And I've been wa wanting to work with that brand for a really long time. And obviously to help them launch swim with some amazing show stopping placements. And then to see what they just did with scissor recently. Um, nothing gets me crazier than when I see a celebrity, literally Instagram, like placement, they're never going to take Quan or, or us. And that's fine. But like to see Kim tag the big digital screen that was outside the forum, which we, by the way, strategically bought for one week because it was performing there. Smart at home. And to see Kim, Kim Instagram that, that was like, I put that there, which is my little tagline that I say to all my friends. That, home. that made me so happy. Same thing with Tracy Ellis Ross filming a full Instagram of her touring all of her out-of-home sites for Pattern Beauty a month ago um, in, in Hollywood that she did just on her own. Um, and I don't have to tag Quan. Like that, that's basically tagging Quan without taking Quan. It makes me so happy. So, yeah. Grailed Skims. We got a lot of fun stuff going on. Um, I'll talk to anybody. I'll work with anybody. Um, yeah, this is just, it, it's such a great channel to be in right now. And more brands should be in it. And to the brands that are giving it a shot, like I'm super, super happy. Um, yeah. And I love my old agency. I know I mentioned some other stuff earlier, but I'll, I'll end with that. They, I'm not here today without the time I spent at Rapport and IPGs. Mm -hmm. I say that to everybody. Well, I love your enthusiasm. It's infectious. Um, this Thank was you. such a great primer on out of home for everybody. So I'm really excited about that. Where can people find you? Where can people get in touch if they want to work with you? Uh, find me, quanmediagroup.com. You know, if you send that, an email to that info site, it goes to me. So you'll hear back from me in that two minutes span. <laughs> Although it goes through, it goes through our info mailbox. So give me, give me a break on that one. Um, <laughs> follow me on Twitter at brappy55. The Yankee season just started. So there's a lot of good out of home content there, but like bear with me when they're playing. I promise I won't drive you away, but like you got to understand that's the reason I started Twitter 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, look up Quan's Instagram on as, as well. Um, we put all of our fun campaigns on there. Uh, those three places are where I am. Brian at quanmediagroup.com as well. Um, but would love to talk to anyone. If you guys are a brand and your home is next year for you, two years down the road, like I'll gladly chat with anyone and everyone. Amazing. It's been so much fun. This has been awesome. I learned so much. Thank you, Brian. Of course. Thank you.